What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another mini-season. Yes, it's finally time for another mini-season here on Cinematic Reviews, and it's going to be an awesome one. We're jumping into the world of Quentin Tarantino with the Kill Bill mini-season. This, of course, is the show about all things movie and TV. Every week, I get my thoughts and reactions to new releases, pull-up franchises, and even upcoming projects. You can support the show by hitting that follow button on your favorite podcast service, as well as following the show on all social media platforms. You can find all those handles on both the Cinematic Reviews Facebook page or the show's website at podspage.com backslash Cinematic Reviews. It helps out a lot, and I really do appreciate all the love and support out there from everyone. Like I said, today we'll be breaking down and reviewing Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. Uh, on this first episode, we'll be covering Volume 1. And then on the next episode, we'll be doing the same for Volume 2, which should be dropping later this week. Um, so to kick today's episode off, let's talk about some facts about Kill Bill, Volume 1. All right, I have some really cool killer facts for you today. Um, Kill Bill, Volume 1 was released on October 10th. 2003. It was directed, like I said, by Quentin Tarantino, who is best known for films like Inglourious Bastards, Pulp Fiction, Django Unchained, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Pretty much everything that he has touched with his hands is pretty well known. Um, even films like Death Proof or True Romance. He's had his hand in a bunch of different projects. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, you know, Inglourious Bastards and Pulp Fiction, are probably the biggest two on his uh, filmography. Um, they are definitely one of my favorites, of course. Uh, but he's he's touched many projects and can and has uh, stated that once he has finished with his ten film, he will continue to write scripts for films. So he will be in the business for a long, long time, uh, which is great. Uh, Hollywood is lucky to have a guy like Quentin Tarantino who just absolutely loves films. Uh, the film grossed $180 million uh, against an estimated $30 million budget. Um, $60,000 of that budget went towards the swords and the sword accessories in this film. Um, that's quite a giant uh, box office hole. Uh, this was, I remember when this movie was coming out, um, both Volume 1 and 2 were just massive, massive hits. Uh, originally, Tarantino had written the Oren Ishii character to be Japanese. Uh, but after seeing Lucy Liu and Shanghai Noon, uh, which stars uh, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson, uh, check that out. Uh, that's definitely on the schedule for uh, a mini season there. Uh, he changed the uh, Oren character to a Chinese Japanese American character because he just really, really loved Lucy Liu for that character. Uh, and I'm glad he did because she is incredible in this movie. I will be talking about her a lot uh, throughout today's episode. Chiaka Kiriyama, I'm pretty sure I butchered that, uh, apologies, but uh, she plays the, the teen assassin Gogo in the film. Uh, she actually accidentally hit Tarantino in the head while she was uh, flinging the ball and chain in that scene since he was standing next to the camera at the time. The yellow suit that Uma Thurman's character, uh, the bride, wears was heavily inspired by the outfit that Bruce Lee wears in his final film, Game of Death. You know, the black and yellow suit uh, is very, very iconic now. Uh, that was definitely a homage to him. The scene where the bride cuts the baseball in half was actually shot practically. Uh, it was performed by Uma's stunt double, Zoe Bell. Bell is, uh, also injured her back, uh, unfortunately, during the filming 
but she kept it to herself because she was afraid of being replaced. Um, Tarantino and Uma came up with the idea of Kill Bill uh, during the filming of Pulp Fiction. Uh, if you remember her, she was... Uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Finn Grain's character, uh, Marcellus Wallace. She played his wife in that movie. Uh, she was the one that OD'd on cocaine with uh, John Travolta. But uh, So while they were filming that movie... Uh, behind the scenes, her and Tarantino were coming up with this idea of the bride character and the whole revenge story of killing Bill. Um, Tarantino expressed his desire to make a 70s style kung fu flick. And then Uma came up with the opening scene where the bride is beaten while wearing a wedding dress, which is an awesome scene. Great way to open up the movie. Tarantino owns the pussy wagon vehicle in this film. Uh, and then he drove it every day as his personal car in order to promote Kill Bill Volume 2 back in 2004. When the bride stands over the remains of the crazy 88, uh, a masked Tarantino is among them. Uh, he likes to uh, be in a couple scenes in his film. Uh, he, he is an actor, but he mainly likes to write and direct uh, his films. But uh, if you go back and watch all these films by him, he does pop up in quite a few scenes. Christopher Allen Nelson, who worked on the special effects, states that 450 gallons of fake blood was used for both volumes one and two of Kill Bill. That is a lot of freaking blood. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Burt Reynolds, Kurt Russell, and Mickey Rourke all passed on playing Bill. Uh, the role went to David Carradine after being mentioned by Warren Beatty, who was also turned out the role. Um, but I think... Uh, David did a, an incredible job. Uh, he doesn't pop up a whole lot in this one, but we will get a lot of Bill in Volume 2. The miniature set pieces used to depict Tokyo in the film uh, when the bride arrives in Japan were actually leftover uh, set pieces from the Godzilla set, uh, the most recent one at this time. That would have been the Broderick one, I believe. Um at the beginning of the fight between Oren and the bride, Oren says that she fears that the bride won't last five minutes. Um, the time that takes place from the moment she says that to the moment that she receives her final wound from the bride is exactly five minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, Tarantino loves to do that. He, he is all about timing and being as accurate as possible because he just he loves to make his films as authentic as possible. And I really, really expect him. That's one of the many reasons why I love him as a director. And then lastly, the body count in this first film is 95. Most of them, I got to assume, is from that crazy 88 restaurant fight, which I will be talking about a lot in this episode. Well, that's all the killer facts I have today. Um, let's get to Kill Bill, Volume 1. So I'm really, really excited to finally talk about my favorite director of all time on this show. Uh, it's Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Inglorious Bastards was my introduction to Tarantino. And then eventually I discovered the rest of his films, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Django Unchained, which is my favorite. Uh, it gets a lot of shit, but I, I am a huge defender of Django Unchained. And uh, I will have a lot to say when we when we finally cover that film on this show. Um and then eventually I got to his two Kill Bill films, which are awesome. Uh, those are the ones that I'll be breaking down during this mini season. And then uh, on the schedule, um, I will definitely be breaking down more of his films during a director appreciation season uh, in the very, very near future. 
but I really wanted to start off with the Kill Bills because I've honestly only seen them a handful of times, even though I absolutely love them. Uh, they're probably the two films that I've seen the least of his. Uh, when I hear the name Quentin Tarantino, my mind goes straight to films like Django Unchained or Pulp Fiction or even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, which is his most recent one. Um, I'm hoping that watching these again and doing a mini season on them will uh, help make them pop up in my head more frequently when I hear the name Tarantino. Uh, so this film, this volume one is, is fucking nuts. So Tarantino loves his blood and the Kill Bill films are great examples of it. Uh, like I mentioned in the killer facts segment, 450 gallons of fake blood were used in these two films. Uh, that's a lot of fucking blood. I, I got to imagine a lot of that, like I said, was during that crazy 88 fight inside the Japanese restaurant. Um, it's probably my favorite sequence in this first film. Uh, limbs get chopped off. Eyeballs are cut out of their sockets. Blood is spraying everywhere throughout the fight. It, it's fucking fantastic. The choreography was incredible. Um, I've never been a huge fan of anime, but I'm a big fan of the the Japanese culture, particularly like samurais, which is a heavy, heavy uh, component of this film. The clothing, the weapons, the elegance of their fighting style, it's, it's beautiful. And Tarantino did an amazing job with it in the, in the Kill Bills, especially this first volume. Uh, I mean, the bride's yellow outfit in the Crazy 88 fight is a clear homage to Bruce Lee's famous outfit from Game of Death, like I said in the fifth Killer Facts as well. Uh, I can't praise Tarantino enough on Kill Bill. I, I love it more every time I watch it. Um, the choreography and his choice of using a ridiculous amount of blood is what keeps me entertained the most. The story is pretty straightforward. It's your typical revenge tale. Um, not a whole lot of quotes stuck out to, in my mind compared to other films. I did jot a few down uh, that stuck to me the most, and I'll go over those in the favorite quote segment later on. Um, the cast is insane, though. Uh, Uma Thurman stars in it along with Lucy Liu, who is always uh, incredible. Uh, Vivica Fox is awesome. Michael Madsen shows up for a scene or two in this first volume. Uh, he's a frequent flyer, if you want to call it that, when it comes to casting a Tarantino film. Uh, then you have David Carradine, who as Kill, who is fucking awesome. Uh, I only really know him from the Kill Bills, and then he was in Death Race as well, uh, that prison slash racing film uh, that stars Jason Statham. Uh, but he's incredible in both. Uh, but like I said, he's more uh, visual, visually present in uh, volume two. In this first volume, we really only get his voice. And then we get shots of like his hand fiddling with the sword or him standing behind uh, Sophie at the end of the film. Uh, we don't really get to see his face until volume two, uh, which I thought was a really cool idea. You know, kind of keeping the Bill character, who is essentially a main component because he's in the title, but to keep him... Uh, kind of behind the scenes and kind of a mystery to the audience during this first volume it was really smart by Tarantino. I love that decision. So volume one of Kill Bill centers around Uma Thurman, who plays the bride or Black Mamba, as her code name is. Uh, those are the only two names that she's referred to as in this film. Uh, another fact, fun fact, though, is uh, her name is on her plane ticket, actually, uh, to Japan. Uh, you can see it for a split second if you're really looking for it. Um, I'm one of those few that spotted it. Her actual name is Beatrix Kittle, uh, but most of today's episode, I'll just refer to her as the bride, since that is what she goes by most in this volume one. Um, that was a great choice as well, kind of keeping her name a mystery, you know, just referring to her as Black Mamba or the bride. That was really cool. Um, 
But so the bride is on a revenge mission. Uh, she was brutally attacked during her wedding, which left everyone in attendance dead, including her unborn child. Um, it's a really brutal scene that I'll, I'll go into more detail during the breakdown coming up. Uh, the bride is able to remember everyone that attacked her because uh, we get glimpses of the flashbacks as we meet these characters and she's remembering who was all there when she was attacked. Um, so she creates this kill list of five names. Uh, Oren Ishii, a.k.a. Cottonmouth. Uh, who, like I said, was played by Lucy Liu. Uh, Vernita Green, a.k.a. Copperhead, was uh, Vivica Fox. Bud, a.k.a. Sidewinder, who is Michael Madsen. Ellie Driver, a.k.a. California Mountain Snake. I should have looked up her name. Um, I'll have to remember that for the next episode, but she is a much more prominent role in the second one. She only pops up a few times in this volume one. Uh, And then Bill, of course, uh, hence the title Kill Bill. Bill is the leader of this group, the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad. Uh, the Bride was once a part of that group, uh, hence her code name was Black Mamba. Um, in this first volume, she kills Copperhead and Coppermouth. Um, she kills a bunch of other people, of course, but they're not on her death, Deathless Five. Uh, Bud, L Driver, and Bill are saved for Volume 2. Uh I typically watch these two volumes back to back, but for the sake of the podcast, I wanted to split them up so that I could do justice to both because I have an incredible amount of respect and admiration for Tarantino. So I wanted to split these up and to really break each of them down. So before we get to that breakdown of volume one, uh, let's take a quick break. Check out the Game of Thrones season going on right now. Every week, I break down five episodes of the hit HBO series, which is based on the acclaimed novels by George R. Martin. I talk about standout scenes, favorite quotes, characters, and more. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, so join me as I travel through Westeros, only on Cinemac Reviews. So the segments for this mini-season are standout scenes, favorite quotes, uh, director trademarks, uh, any negatives I have of the film, and then the rankings of both the Kill Bills and then Tarantino as a whole. Uh, so starting off with uh, standout scenes, uh, the first one I have written down is the opening sequence, uh, which is in black and white. This is where we get the shot of Uma Thurman on the ground. She's all bloodied up. She's wearing this white wedding, wedding dress. Um, she's begging for Bill not to do this. Uh, you can tell that something really, really uh, violent happened at this little chapel um then he pulls out a gun and he shoots uma thurman in the head um so we're kind of left the audience is kind of left like what the fuck is going on which is i love it when movies do this you know they really throw you in the shit and they're just like holy crap okay we're just we're really going for this and we're all just sitting there stunned like holy shit they actually shot the main character in the head within the first few minutes of the movie like it was it's it's just a crazy scene and i love that this was Tarantino's choice to open up this film, like just really throwing it at you, like just throwing you like this is going to be a violent, fucked up story, uh, which I love. So then the next scene I have is the bride versus Copperhead in the TV room. Uh, so this is where Vivica Fox's character comes in. Uh, so the bride is uh, at her house, you know, they're kind of like uh, exchanging pleasantries, you know, they're, they're old friends, uh, but turns out that she was there as part of this hit squad at her wedding and all hell just starts breaking loose. You know, they're, they're cutting each other with knives, throwing each other in the walls into the table. Um, 
it's just fucking brutal. And I love all the choreography here. Uma Thurman is such a badass, and uh, Fox does such a great job as well as Copperhead. But this this scene was incredible. Um, it's yeah, and then eventually, uh, Copperhead's daughter shows up, so they kind of do this uh, quick stop. Uh, wasn't necessarily funny, but I've always found it kind of humorous that you know they're kind of just like faking it as they uh as just for the sake of uh copperhead's daughter uh you know they're all covered in blood and copperhead kind of gives this excuse to the daughter like oh your dog got loose and caused a mess and my friend here was helping me out and this is why we're all messed up uh so clearly she is keeping her old life as a deadly viper hidden from her daughter uh but unfortunately uma thurman gets sick of the bullshit and kills copperhead uh and then the daughter walks in and sees that she was her mom was murdered and then this is where that huge fan theory spawned about um volume three so there was this huge fan theory that volume three would center around uh copperhead's daughter coming back for revenge on the bride which would be really cool um i know tarantino and uma have talked about volume three uh, for a long time, Volume 3 was rumored to be the 10th film of uh, Tarantino, but it turns out that his 10th film will be a project called The Movie Critic, um, which sounds like another love letter to Hollywood and all that stuff. Um, but maybe down the road, if they do decide to do a Volume 3, that would be a really cool way to to build off of this moment here is with Copperhead's daughter. So maybe uh, never say never is what I say. So fingers crossed. That, maybe we do get a cool volume three here. Cause I would love to see Uma Thurman come back as the bride. That would be really, really cool. Then we have bill on the phone while fiddling with the sword. I wrote this down. Uh, it's not like a huge scene, but I like it because we get, we get to see bill. Finally, we get to hear him talk on the phone and I just love the way he's just fiddling with a sword, you know, like he's, he's always got that sword. So clearly we have this idea that he is some kind of trained assassin, uh, some kind of trained samurai. Um, I just loved, I just really love this shot of him on the phone fiddling with that sword. I just, I've always, it's always stuck into my head uh, every time I watch it. Then we have the bride killing the rapist and then Buck, the uh, nurse guy who came to fuck, uh, as he likes to call it. So, starting with, so this whole scene is really fucking crazy. So, this Buck guy who is this uh, male nurse or whatever they call him, nurse. Um, he allows guys to pay him to allow him to essentially rape the comatose patients. Um, unfortunately, the bride is next on the list um, since she is the freshest of the bodies. Uh, so uh, the rapist comes in. So first, Uma wakes up and bites the dude's mouth off. And that's essentially it. Like he bleeds out from that. She bites his fucking lip off and it's crazy well and then buck comes in and just gets his ass handed to him by uma uh knocks him to the ground um she asks him where bill is buck has no idea who she's talking about so clearly this is a totally different scenario he's not um have any connection with bill this is just a fucked up guy who's just trying to earn some cash by allowing guys to rape. And then it is hinted that he also rapes the comatose patients, which is fucking weird. Um, 
that shot of the Vaseline that he gives him with all the hair is fucking disgusting. And Tarantino made a lot of effort to emphasize on how fucking gross that is. Uh, that's he loves doing shit like that. Um, but back to the scene. So she gets Buck on the ground. She's beating the shit out of him. Uh, he doesn't give her the answers that she wants. So she takes the door of the room and just bashes the fuck out of his head. And you can tell after three or four good hits, he is fucking brain dead. Like he can't move. He is totally paralyzed. Cause you get that shot of that last hit and he's just stunned. Like the body just, the body shut down. Like he's brain fucking dead. Uh, and it's, it's a crazy freaking scene. So the next one is the bride visiting the master swordsman, sword maker, Hattori Hanzo. Uh, I love this thing. We get the little uh, quick scene about uh, in the little cafe area where he's giving her food, getting her tea. We get that funny back and forth between him and his, uh, his uh, one of his servers. Um, and then eventually she comes clean and says, Hey, I'm here for a sword. I know who you are. Uh, he says he's retired, but he shows her all of the swords upstairs. Um, which is awesome. I love that room. I love the swords. They're all really cool. Uh, so the lore behind these swords is that Artori Hanzo, who is this master, master sword maker that she's talking to, he makes the best swords in the world. Apparently it's like, it's like vanilla and steel from game of Thrones. Like this shit is indestructible. It's the strongest swords in the world. Um, so he, eventually comes out of retirement to make her the sword uh, and presents it to her in this very, very cool ceremony where they're in these cool robes. Uh, they're both in like the crouch position. Um, he's presenting the sword. He's like swirling it around. He's got it laying on his arm to kind of test that the craftsmanship is perfect. And then he presents her with her sword. And it's just really cool. I love, I love how Tarantino really, um, showed a lot of respect to the, the ceremony uh, aspect of, of sword making and presenting the sword to its new owner. It's really, really cool. Next, we get to my favorite sequence, which is the fight at the restaurant in Tokyo with the crazy 88s who are the, or essentially the henchmen of uh, Lucy Liu's character, um, Oren. Uh, so there's, I broke it down in a couple of different areas. So we got the first group of fights, uh, which is her her main posse. Uh, and it's just fucking nuts. You know, she's cutting off limbs. Uh, she's cutting heads off. Blood spurting everywhere. Uh, eventually, at one point, we get to the black and white, which was a really cool uh, decision by Tarantino to make it black and white. Um, but yeah, just all hell breaks loose in this restaurant. And the choreography is incredible. We get to see the huge... Uh, huge splatters of blood everywhere um she's wearing that yellow bruce lee outfit um we get to see the full power of the sword that hanzo made for her it's just really awesome uh so once she takes out those group of guys um we get to gogo -Go, um uh, the little teen assassin who has got a really interesting backstory uh we get that quick shot of her at the bar uh where this dude is hitting on her and she admits that she's 17 and she uh fucking guts him right there in the bar really setting the the standard that she is a force of fucking evil it doesn't matter if she's 17 11 or 25 like she will fuck you up uh so her fight with 
uh, the bride is awesome. Uh, she takes out this ball and chain thing with spikes on it, and she's swirling around. This is the scene that I talked about in Killer Facts where she hit Tarantino in the head. Um, but this is really cool. Uh, she hits Uma a couple times, uh, and then Uma finally figures out a way to beat her. You know, she picks up the chair, uh, and then eventually she kills her uh, fucking brutally, too. Uh, she's got... She hits her, she stabs her so much that fucking blood's coming out of her eyes and she's dead, you know. Crazy freaking scene. And then, once she dies, we hear the revving of motorcycles outside. And Lucy Liu's kind of giving her a look like, you're kind of fucked now. You think that was all the bin I have? Just wait until you see. And then more crazy 88 guys come out. And there's a shit ton of them. They're just coming out from every doorway. And... The bride just goes to town. She just, it's a fucking massacre. She's hacking off more limbs, cutting eyeballs out of their heads, chopping heads off, cutting feet off, fucking blood everywhere. It's its freaking nuts. I, I absolutely love it. It's so cool. Um, So after she just fucking murders everyone in this room, her and Lucy Liu go outside into this beautiful uh, outside uh, patio area where there's snow coming down and we have this awesome elegant fight. Um, we get the shot of Lucy Lou taking off her shoes, you know, like if someone's taking their shoes off, you're like, Oh shit. Some, some crazy shit's about to go down. Um, and so the first couple of moments, uh, Lucy Lou's kind of got the helper hand, you know, she's cutting Uma a couple times. Well, eventually Uma, uh, gets, uh, gets a couple cuts off of her, um, and then eventually they have this cool moment on, they're standing on side of this fence thing and they're kind of running parallel to each other. And the bride just quickly slashes her sword and cuts the top off, uh, Lucy's hair. And it's really cool how Tarantino shot it. So at first you think, oh, she just cut some of her hair off. Turns out she cut a good piece of her fucking head off because we get that shot of Lucy Liu's brain sticking out of her head, you know, and she manages to get the last words out, which I have written down, I think. Um, maybe not. But she manages to say um, something uh, before she dies uh, and then eventually collapses, you know, because her fucking brain is out. Um, so it was just a crazy cool fight that uh, Tarantino really focused on the elegance of the fighting style. You know, it wasn't a bloody, well, I mean, it was bloody towards the end, you know, cutting her head off. But, uh, but like, it was just a couple quick slices to the body. Uh, but I've, I got to imagine Tarantino really wanted to focus on the choreography here. He wanted to show the elegance of a one-on-one -on -one fight. You know, it wasn't like the crazy 88 fight where it's just fucking chaos and massacre and blood everywhere. You know, he wanted to keep it a little more elegant between this fight of the bride and Oren, which is really cool. So then the last scene I have is the ending sequence where we have the bride torturing Sophie, who is the right hand lady to uh, Lucy Liu. Uh, at the same time, we get Bill and Sophie in the hospital. It was really cool how they cut this where we're going back and forth here with the bride explaining to Sophie that if you don't tell me what you're going to do, I'm going to cut pieces off. Um, and then at the same time, we get her in the hospital with Bill talking to her about how she failed and that the bride is coming and giving her the message that she will fucking kill everyone. Uh, so it's just really cool. Tarantino cut this apart where 
where you're going back and forth between what happened and then what's going on currently. So really cool way to kind of leave the film in a cliffhanger for volume two. Uh, so favorite quotes, I got a few of them. Uh, not a whole lot of them stuck out to me. A lot of this film was really focused on, you know, the choreography, the the elegance of the Japanese fighting style. I mean, the blood and gore and all that. Um, if I remember right, a lot of the cool quotes come into volume two. So, but first one I have is the truth lies at the heart of combat. Uh, this is from the narrator that we keep hearing uh, throughout the film, uh, which we'll find out in volume two but is the the old master of the bride when she was training. Uh, so she's kind of remembering all these these sayings from her old master. And this is the one that stuck out to me was the truth lies at the heart of combat, which is a really cool line. Uh, and then we have one here from the bride. Your name is Buck, right? And you came to fuck, right? This is what she says as she is uh, essentially bashing his fucking head in with a door. Really like I really liked how Uma was presenting that line where she's she's kind of like, you know, hey, you're a fucking piece of shit, right? I just like how she was she performed that line. And then I have one from Matori Hanzo. I have crafted something that kills people. Really cool line. Um, he essentially makes weapons for mass destruction. That's really cool. Then we have one from Gogo. This is where she's at the bar killing that pedophile pervert dude. Do you still want to penetrate me or is it I that has penetrated you? This is what she says when she sticks her knife into the dude's gut. Uh, I just really like that. Then we have this one from the bride and Oren. So Oren starts by saying silly rabbit. And then the bride and Oren say at the same time, tricks are for kids. I, I thought that was really funny. I totally forgot that this line was in there. You know, if you're, if you love Twix as much as I do, I mean, I get a kick out of, that line every time i remember seeing those commercials but it was really cool that tarantino actually put um uh, put that line in there because I, I remember the the twix commercials being really really big uh when these films are coming out so that was cool that tarantino kind of squeezed that in there uh, and then i have another one from the bride this is what you get for fucking around with the yakuza go home to your mother as she spanks the the kid with the sword who was a part of the crazy 88 i mean the kid's got to be I don't know, 16 or 17, maybe, or maybe even younger than that, 14 or 15. But that was, I was, I kind of chuckled at that one. That was pretty funny. Then I have one from Oren. Sword, however, never gets tired. I hope you saved your energy. Really cool line there. And then the last one I have is from The Bride. And every time you don't give me answers, I'm going to cut something off. And I promise you, there will be things you will miss. Uh, this is, of course, the ending scene where she is threatening Sophie on whether you tell me what I want or I'm going to start cutting parts off that are really important to you. So those are the, all the quotes I have, uh, but there was really cool quotes uh, regardless. So director trademarks. So this is where I talk about, you know, signature things that a director likes to do in a lot and all of his, most of his films, not all of them, but so the first one I have is, of course, Tarantino loves his blood. Uh, if you are familiar with Tarantino, if you've seen any of his films, you know that he loves blood. Like it scatters everywhere. Um, it's it's freaking nuts. Uh, he just really, really loves gore. He loves presenting the blood splatters. I mean, a good example is Django. Uh, that's got a lot of it. Um, Reservoir Dogs is a huge one. And Glorious Bastards even has a lot of gore. But this one, Kill Bill, is probably the one 
uh, that really uh, presents his love for for blood. I mean, 450 gallons of fake blood. That is a fucking lot of blood. Um, granted, is it's between two films, but that's still a lot of blood. I mean, the Crazy 88 is just a gore fest. Uh, limbs are flying everywhere. Blood splattered everywhere. Eyeballs are coming out. Like this is that was that's Tarantino. Um, most of the time, you can just. I mean, even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood gets pretty gory. Uh, even though that's not quite, you know, it's not quite a Kill Bill or Django. Uh, but that scene at the very end with Rick Dalton fucking shit up uh, and Brad Pitt going to town on these uh, Manson characters. Um, there's still a lot of gore in his films, but this one for sure, Kill Bill is the one where it's like, yeah, this is Tarantino. Tarantino loves his brutality. He loves his blood. So the next one, another trademark that he has is the chapter title cards. Uh, this is really big in the Kill Bills and then Hateful Eight is another one where he has these chapter. He likes to break his films up into chapters with titles and all that. So really cool. Not a whole lot of directors do that, uh, but he, he loves doing that. And then the last one I have is the scatter timeline. Uh, this one for sure has a lot of them. Cause if you see uh, when Uma is crossing names off the list, like there are names crossed off the list that we haven't seen yet. So, and then uh, if I remember right, another one of these is Pulp Fiction. That's another huge one where the time uh time is really cut out and pieced in different areas you know but this one uh i totally forgot did the same thing where she's going we're going through this list she's not going in order tarantino presents it out of order you know because when we get to um so the first fight is actually with vivia fox's character copperhead but if you see when she cuts crosses off copperhead's name she already has oren crossed off um, so it was really interesting that he, Tarantino is a director that loves to present a story out of order. Um, and I would love to sit down with him and talk about why he does that. I got to assume it's to confuse the audience, you know, kind of keep them guessing, uh, so they don't know what's going to happen, but I would love to really sit down and just kind of get, uh, what he, uh, what his mindset was and deciding to present a story out of order. Uh, Pulp Fiction is another one where it's completely out of order. I mean, we get John Travolta alive for most of it. Then we finally see his death scene, but then the film ends with him alive. It's really crazy how he, he does that, but it, it works really well though. Like it's not a negative. It doesn't hold the movie back for me. It's it. I think it makes it stronger in a way. Cause it, like I said, it makes the audience guess It makes them, wonder what's gonna what's gonna go happen next so maybe that's why he did it uh like i would love to sit down and talk to him about why he does that with his films and then the only negative i had for this volume one is uh i'm not a huge fan of anime so him making oren's backstory into japanese animation was kind of whatever to me um it kind of took me out of it for a moment uh, but i get what he's doing he's trying to pay homage to the Japanese anime that's very popular even today. Um, I mean, it was cool. I had some ac cool action sequences. The animation was cool. I'm just not a huge fan of it. Um, like, I, mainly because, like I said, it kind of takes you out of it because the rest of the film is in live action. So to have a five to 10 minute scene where it's just anime, kind of weird to me. But uh, that's just me. Uh, I'm, a lot of people really like that choice. 
uh, because it fits with the Japanese vibe of the film. But that's just the only negative I really had. Um, and again, it doesn't hold the film back at all for me. Uh, it's just one thing that kind of just takes me out of it for a few minutes. But I love that we do get the backstory of Oren. That was really cool. So to end the episode, I'm going to go over the Kill Bill rankings and then my Quentin Tarantino rankings. So for the Kill Bill rankings, I've always liked, uh, and I'm really curious to see if this changes when I cover Volume 2 uh, later on, but I really like Volume 1. I thought um, I always liked it just a little bit more than Volume 2, even though I consider it one movie. Um, but yeah, if I had to rank it, I would have to say Volume 1 over Volume 2 very, very slightly. Uh, I just think uh, the action is is really fucking cool. Um, most of the scenes, it's just, I think it's a better movie, honestly. Um, not 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 that Volume 2 is a terrible movie. I just, I think Volume 1 is just, you know, it's more iconic. When you think of Kill Bill, you think of uh, the Lucille fight. You think of the Crazy Ape fight in the restaurant. Um, you think of uh, the pussy wagon thing with the rapist and Buck who likes to fuck in the hospital. You know, that's what comes to mind when people think of Kill Bill. Um, volume two has got a couple of scenes where people remember when they hear Kill Bill, but mainly from what I've noticed, most people remember scenes from volume one, because I think that is the most iconic of the two parts. Um, but at the end of the day, I really consider it all one movie. That's why I like to watch it typically together as one movie. Um, but if I had to really, really rank it, it would go volume one over volume two. But I'm really curious to see if that changes when I do rewatch volume two for the episode. Uh, so on next time, I will um, reveal if it did uh, change my mind or not. But going over to Tarantino's uh, overall ranking list. So he's got nine films right now um, that I have on this list. Uh, I think he considers volume one and volume two Kill Bill one movie. Um I know he did Death Proof, uh, and I'll have to add that to the list eventually. But for right now, the nine that I have here is uh, Django, uh, Pulp Fiction, Both Kill Bills, Hateful Eight, Jackie Brown, all those. Uh, Death Proof, I'll have to go in here and add uh, later on, and then I'll update that list for you. But for right now, so at number nine, I have Reservoir Dogs. Um, really cool movie. Uh, one of his first ones. I think it was actually his first one. Uh, really cool. Very, very underrated. Um, then at number eight, you have Jackie Brown. Uh, that's another one where I've only seen a couple of times, uh, but I really love it every single time. Then at number seven, I have The Hateful Eight. Um, really bloody. Uh, this is another one where he really cranks up the blood and gore factor. Um, really, really contained movie. I mean, it all happens in this one little cabin, um, but really, really cool. Number six is Kill Bill Volume 2, and then number five is Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, those are just right there together because I usually consider it one movie, so I like to keep them together in this ranking. Uh, but like I said, Volume 1 just slightly above Volume 2 just because I think it has more iconic scenes in it. Number four is Pulp Fiction. Uh, for a long time, this used to be my favorite. Uh, but then when I revealed the top three, uh, it got kind of pushed down. But it's still a great movie. Um, awesome, awesome movie. One of the the highlights of the 90s for sure. So then at number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
Uh, this is a really interesting one. So when I first watched it, it was pretty low on my list. Uh, I did not care for it at the time. I thought it was too long. Uh, I thought it kind of dragged out, especially towards the end. Uh, it had one crazy action sequence in it at the very end where Brad Pitt and Leo are fighting these Charlie, uh, these Manson followers. Um, but after rewatching it a couple of times, I've really grown to love it. Uh, I love the Hollywood vibe of it. I love getting to know this Rick Dalton character, getting to know um, all these these components of go of making these movies and a struggling actor who's a TV star trying to make it into the film industry. It was just really cool. And then you have, you know, the, the actual um, history of, you know, Sharon Tate and her murder uh, who is played by Margot Robbie. Um, she is terrific in there. So I really got to appreciate uh, once upon a time in Hollywood a lot more as I, as I rewatched it. Now it's one of my favorites of Tarantino. I love throwing it on. Because Leo is my dude. Uh, and then at number two, Glorious Bastards. This is this is one of his his best. Uh, I remember when this came out back in 09 and everyone just went nuts for it. Uh, this is the first one that I saw of him. This really got me introduced to the world of Carantino. Um, Brad Pitt's amazing in it. Um, you get uh, Christoph Waltz, who is phenomenal uh, as the villain. Um, just an all-star cast here. Uh, Great World War II movie, uh, kind of altering history a little bit with Hitler and all that. And then at number one, Django Unchained. I am probably the biggest defender of Django Unchained. It gets a lot of shit. Uh, but, I mean, Jamie Foxx is amazing in it. Leo is amazing in it. Christoph Waltz is amazing in it. It's just, I mean, even Samuel Jackson is in a few scenes, and he's freaking awesome in it. It's just, I love Django. It's got, I quote it all the time. It's the one I've seen the most that's, just a phenomenal film, and it, it's it's my favorite of Tarantino. So that is my ranking so far of Tarantino. I'll have to put Death Poof in here. Uh, maybe I'll even include True Romance in it since he wrote that one. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to do that director appreciation season with him because maybe this maybe this will, will change, you know. Um, since I'm doing Kill Bill for this mini season, that won't be a part of that season, but uh, – I could see, you know, maybe the Hateful Eight will jump up there, or maybe Reservoir Dogs will jump up there, or maybe even Pulp Fiction becomes my new favorite. You never know. Um, I just really love Tarantino a lot, and uh, it's tough to rank his movies because I just I love every single one of them. They they all have uh, a very special special place in my heart. Every single one of them. So that is the Tarantino ranking. Uh, you can check uh, that out on both IMDb and Leatherbox. Just search for cinematic views. I mean, I have like 70 or 80 lists on there already, and I'm adding more all the time uh, from Star Wars, Marvel, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, Fast and Furious, all those are ranked. Um, so yeah, let's check those out. And then join me next time as I cover uh, volume two of Kill Bill. Well, that'll do it for this volume one of the Kill Bill mini season. Like I said, volume two, We'll be dropping later this week, um, so be on the lookout for that. Also, check out new release reactions and uh, the Game of Thrones seasons every week on the show. Uh, but, a do day, everyone. <laughs>